beautiful rendition of that song. Thank you, Julia. And a great word for us as um, we go into this week, knowing that if his eye is on the sparrow, then I know he's watching me. Our scripture for today comes from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. We're looking at chapter 17. Notice um, the connection back to the psalm that Phyllis read for us just a little while ago. We're in chapter 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart, to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. Like the partridge hatching what it did not lay, so are all who amass wealth unjustly. In midlife, it will leave them. And at their end, they will prove to be fools. O glorious throne, exalted from the beginning, shrine of our sanctuary, O hope of Israel, O Lord, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be recorded in the underworld, for they have forsaken the fountain of living water, the Lord. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Maybe you heard about the family who was asked by their pastor if they ever had any meaningful conversation together. And the father said, well, absolutely, we have meaningful conversation for about two and a half hours a day. The pastor was really impressed. Two and a half hours a day, are you kidding? That's way more time than I spend with my family in meaningful conversation. How do you do it? What do you talk about? Well, mom rolled her eyes and added a little information that dad had left out. She said, we really only discuss one thing, and that's who gets to hand over the remote control. Um, you know, the remote control, it's... It's an important part of our lives. We all have them, don't we? We probably have three or four, because even though you have the best universal remote on the market, there's one piece of electronics it simply doesn't control, right? I saw yesterday where you can have remote controls for your fans and for your lights, and um, somebody said they had a remote control in their car. Like, what for? So you can use the radio. I'm like, the, the, it's right there on your steering wheel. Man, why would you need a, I don't know. We've got remote controls for everything, but we're lucky. In our house, we only have one TV. We don't have a stereo anymore. I bought an old-fashioned record player. So that means we have one remote control. And yet, somehow, we still lose that remote control all the time. Why is it in the kitchen? I have no idea. It's now in the bathroom. Why is the remote control in the bathroom? Growing up, I was the remote control. You know, my, my mom, my dad, they'd say, Douglas, can you go over and change the channel to channel five? Sure. And I got up and did so. 
Can you go turn the stereo up? Sure. Can you turn the record over? Sure. Okay. Absolutely. A lot of you are probably the remote control at your house. Yeah. I saw on TV last night a gadget that I thought was pretty cool when I first saw it. It's called the locator. And it's a remote for the remotes. Okay? You know how you look for your remote control for like 30 minutes underneath all the couch cushions and everything, and you're like wondering where it happened? Well, with the locator, you put a little tiny tag on anything that you lose, your car keys, your checkbook, your phone, whatever you're prone to losing. You put a little tag on it, and the locator, you click the locator, and, and, it'll, and the tag will start flashing and beeping and making noise so you will know where the, where the thing is that you've lost, which I thought was a great idea until what happens if you lose the locator, right? Well, anyway, what's all the talk about remote controls? Well, I think a lot of us go through life on remote control. We have a daily routine, a daily procedure. And it's not that we're OCD. It's that we've just fallen into comfortable habits, and there's nothing wrong with that. You set the alarm for, I don't know, 6 a.m. so that you can hit the snooze button a couple times before actually waking up, right? And, uh, and the first thing you do is you go pour a cup of coffee. And then you go to the bathroom to get ready for work, and... Um, then you pop something into the toaster oven, you walk out, you get the paper, you flip on the TV if you can find the remote control, and uh, you peruse the paper, you drink that second cup of coffee, and then you go off to work, or you wake up the kids, or whatever it is you do. It's a habit, like every Monday through Friday, just about, right? And again, nothing wrong with that. It's part of who we are. It's part of being human. It is safe. It is comfortable. There's no challenge except which kind of Pop-Tart I'm going to put in the toaster. Life is stress-free first thing in the morning. And that's good, because it seems like stress kind of builds up the rest of the day. We need to start with a little breathing room first thing in the morning. But what happens when our remote control life suddenly goes haywire? What happens when everything seems to come apart at the seams? What do we do? How do we handle it? Jeremiah 17. The prophet says, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green, unlike Pastor Hope's shrub. That's not what it says in Jeremiah. In the year of drought, it is not anxious. It does not cease to bear fruit. When our remote control lives suddenly go on the blink and tragedy or disaster strikes, how do we handle it? I suppose if Jeremiah lived in Wilmington instead of Jerusalem, he might be talking about hurricanes and flooding instead of droughts. But maybe your problem isn't meteorological at all. Maybe it's stress with your partner or stress at work or your health or some other type of family relationship, your kids maybe. How do we get through it? Having read Jeremiah, I think it all depends on the crops that we've planted and nurtured. I'm talking about spiritual crops. And today I want to use the word crops as an acronym for the attitudes and actions that will help us get through the crises that we're facing. Crops. The C stands for come. Come humbly to God. 
A fireman was explaining to a kindergarten class what to do in case of a fire, and he said, he said, first go to the door and see if it's hot. And then if it is, fall to your knees. Do you know why you fall to your knees? And one little girl said, yes, so you can start praying to God to get you out of this mess. And um, that's probably what we do, right? Fall to our knees and ask God to get us out of this mess. And thinking about this, I first thought about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his betrayal and arrest. In the midst of all that struggle, he knew what was about to happen to him. The first thing he did was he dropped to his knees and he began to pray to God. And the first prayer he uttered was, Lord, take this cup from me, right? Get me out of this mess. And if you read the Psalms, you'll see that a large percentage of them are prayers to God in the midst of struggle. They are crying out, wanting to know, God, where are you? Psalm 10, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or you might know Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, from the words of my groaning? Anybody ever felt that way? But in the end, those psalms, those prayers, they always make a change. They always turn toward humility, just like Jesus in the garden, who finally said, nevertheless, no, excuse me, nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but thine. The first thing we need to do is come humbly to God and ask for the guidance, wisdom, and strength to use the gift of grace that God has already poured out into our life. And it's in that prayer of humility that we discover that while we may be in the midst of crisis, we are loved more than you can ever imagine. It's in that that we're able to say yes to God's vision for our life, God's vision for salvation. Which brings us to the R, remember. Remember God is in charge. We jokingly say, well, if I were king of the world, things would be a lot different, right? Except we're not king or queen of the world, and that's the point. God has yet to put us in charge, which might be really hard for some of us, right? There are so many things in life which God has given us responsibility for. He has made us stewards of. So when we run into something that's out of our control, we start to freak out. But the bottom line is God is still in charge. We might be heirs to the kingdom, but God has not stepped off that throne and he has not handed us the crown. Coming humbly to God is simply the understanding of the natural order of things. God's the creator, not us. We are the created. Now, we share in some of his creativity because we're made in the image of God, but we are not the creator. God is. God is good and perfect, and we are trying, right? You know, our lives are this composite of good and evil, of light and darkness, of obedience and rebellion, but God is good all the time. Caesar Augustus, he ruled over the greatest empire of his time, ruling over the Roman Empire. He thought he was in control. And at the same time, King Herod ruled over Judea. It wasn't Rome, but it was important. And he too thought he was in control. But Caesar Augustus and King Herod were wrong. They were not in control. And all it took was a tiny baby born and laid in a manger to overshadow their empires. 
God is in control. Which brings us to the O. The O in crops stands for own your feelings. Get mad at God if you have to. I've never known anyone who got zapped or thumped on the head because they got mad at God. It's okay. Again, go back to the Psalms. There are plenty of times that people who loved God with all their heart got mad at God. That's part of a relationship, quite frankly. I like the wall hanging I saw in an office earlier this summer. It said, one day I shall burst my buds of calm and blossom fully into hysteria. Yeah, that sounds like me. God created us with feelings. It's okay. It's how we deal with life, with laughter and joy and tears and anguish, fear and anger. All of those things help us cope with the situation. Of course, how we express in the midst of those situations can have massive effects on our lives. Are your feelings always appropriate to show? No. Be careful who you take your anger out on. It's okay if you share it with God. He can take it. But don't take it out on your family and your friends and your coworkers. Acting on your anger can be dangerous. But you get to feel what you feel. That's okay. There's nothing more potentially dangerous to us than repressing our feelings. They will come out one way or another. If we own them and we own up to them, then we can start to deal with them in constructive ways. At once, excuse me, and once we own the feelings, well, we can start to have healing. We can start to have repairing of the relationships or whatever is going on that has hurt us. Which takes us to P. The P in crops stands for prepare ahead. One of the best ways to deal with life is being prepared, right? We know that. We have a storm coming. You've got to be prepared. When I was growing up, everybody knew who Colonel Sanders was, right? Um, Colonel Sanders, of course, uh, started Kentucky Fried Chicken, or what's now known as KFC. And when Harlan Sanders started his chicken business, he had very little capital and almost no money for advertising. So he became a walking billboard. He grew that little white beard. He put on a white suit. And as a Kentucky colonel, he began walking around advertising for Kentucky Fried Chicken personally love the new ads with all the celebrities who dress up as Colonel Sanders. I think it's kind of funny. But for us, as Christians, each one of us is a walking advertisement of the Christian faith. Whether we want to be or not. We probably would prefer not to be, but you are. And that's why Paul wrote to the Colossians, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, Patience. Well, how do you do that? How do we clothe ourselves in these things? Well, by planting the seeds that will grow into something more one day. And we do that through prayer and worship and study and service. When we put what we say that we believe into action, we begin weaving the cloth for these clothes. We're going to talk about that more next week. But right now, I want to get to the end, to the S. The S stands for share. Share with others. Anybody seen uh, Because of Winn-Dixie, that movie? One. 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 Two. Three. All right. Woo, four. All right. Man, that's, that's the most we've had in any service. All right. That's great. 
All right, so don't give it away for the rest of us, okay? The movie Because of Wind Dixie is about this little girl, Opal, who's been abandoned at an early age by her mother. She and her father, who's this preacher at this, like, storefront church, have moved to Naomi, Florida. And in the opening scene, Opal prays for friends, and one of the friends she ends up uh, making friends with is this mongrel dog that she calls Winn-Dixie, like the grocery store chain, okay? And there's a scene where Miss Franny tells Opal and a young girl named Amanda the story of her great-grandfather, Litmus W. Block, what a great name, who fought in the Civil War. She says that when he returned home from fighting, he started a candy factory, but it's since uh, fallen into ruin. And while the candy's no longer made, Miss Franny still has an ample supply, so she gives the children a taste. And Amanda tells Miss Franny that she likes the candy, but it makes her think of sad things. Miss Franny explains that the candy contains a secret ingredient. Opal asks what it is, and Miss Franny says, it's sorrow. She says that Litmus made a fortune because he managed to create a unique candy that tasted sweet and sad at the same time. Well, Amanda eats her candy and says, it makes me miss Carson. Carson's her little brother who drowned a year before, and nobody talks about it. Well, the scene reminds us that everybody has their share of sorrows because we live in a broken, fallen world. Those sorrows and difficulties are compounded, I think, because even though we could help one another, many of us are too ashamed or too prideful to ever share what's on their hearts. The scriptures demand that we bear one another's burdens. But how can we bear one another's burdens if we don't know them? Wouldn't it be great if we had a magic candy that would loosen our lips so that we might share what's on our hearts without feeling like a fool for doing so? Or, or, or a magic candy that would turn us into the friend that we ought to be for somebody else? I don't think there's anything that can stand against the power of a group of people who's willing to support one another. There really is strength in numbers. We all need some kind of support system. Because in that support system, you find confidence and affection and respect and admiration, friendship. Within a Christian support system, we experience both the human and divine because we experience God's grace when we forgive one another. We need that. Grandma and Grandpa were driving across the country one summer with their five-year-old granddaughter on vacation. And they got to Kansas, and they just admired the rows and rows and miles and miles of cornfields. But the wind was blowing particularly hard that day, and Grandma commented, looks like the wind could blow that corn down. Their five-year-old granddaughter said, oh, no, it's planted deep, Grandma, and you don't blow down what's planted deep. That's right. Each of these five things we just talked about are just kernels which help us plant the right crops so that we can be planted deep and reap a good harvest. Remember what Jeremiah said, blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. 
It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. As Christians, our faith is planted deep. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and that means something. For if Jesus is resurrected, then life is stronger than death. Hope is stronger than sorrow. Love is stronger than hate. And goodness is stronger than evil. If Jesus is resurrected, then life is much greater than we understand it. If Jesus is resurrected, then God really is in control. And if God is in charge, I don't think I have to be so anxious. I don't think I have to be so worried. Because when everything in our remote control world seems to get wonky, crazy, out of control, we can count on the fact that God will see us through. Rest assured, God will see us through. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.